0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Southside Baptist Church, a body of Christ located in beautiful Norman Park, Georgia. We are so glad you chose to listen in today. It's our prayer you would find the message of Jesus Christ compelling and uplifting, and that your life would be changing continually from hearing the Word of God. If you would like more information about our church or would like more digital content, please feel free to check us out on the web at southsidenp.org. And now for today's message.
1: All right, I failed to do something this morning. Uh, Liam, would you help me out? Would you help me out? Come on. So, as you know, we are walking uh, through with our Annie Armstrong. We're collecting, and the crosses each represent two hundred dollars. Well, we have another cross to put on the tree uh, this week, and so I asked my friend Liam if he'll put that cross somewhere on the tree. All right, now count how many crosses we have on there. What do you see? Is there one right here? All right, so we have five crosses on the tree, so that means we have at least $1,000. But I think, thank you, sir, appreciate it. You can go back and sit down, unless you want to preach. So we have, uh, I think we have over a thousand, or over eleven hundred dollars, actually, uh, in our Annie Armstrong. So continue to pray uh, as God leads you to um, to give. And so you saw the video on there, so you know where your funds go to. So turn with me back to the Book of Ephesians. We're going to finish up Chapter Two uh, this morning. Ephesians Chapter Two. We're going to be reading from verse eleven. Uh, through, uh, 22, we're going to speak on this topic this morning, this subject, if you will, one with Christ, one with Christ, Ephesians chapter two, verses 11 through 22. Actually, when you think about chapter two of of the book of Ephesians, as Paul writes to the church there in Ephesus, you're really seeing a before and after picture, if you will, um, you know, the first few verses there, Paul talks about uh, the, the the before picture and then what happens uh, when what God does. And, and we're going to see what Christ does uh, this morning. So if you would stand with me as we honor the reading of God's holy, inspired, infallible and wonderful word uh, this morning. So Paul writes this, he says in verse 11, therefore. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. That he might create in himself one new man in the place of two. So making peace, verse 16. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ uh, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In verse 22, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Father, we come to this time of our service, Lord, and we, as we prepare to hear from you, Father, I pray that it is you that the folks hear from this morning. God, I know that there are... Uh, folks in here that may be struggling. I know that there are folks in here that may be lost, Lord, and I know that there are those in here who are followers of you, God, that just may need to repent of some things in their lives, Lord, and just move forward uh, as followers of you. Father, whatever the decisions uh, made today need to be, Father, I pray that they make those decisions, God, before it's everlasting too late, that we understand that we are one in Christ. Lord, we love you and praise you, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. One of the difficulties of childhood in particular and some adulthood as well is being on the outside looking in. You know, it's difficult to be on the outside looking in when you're on the playground and they're picking teams for the next basketball game that's coming up. It's difficult to be on the outside looking in when others get the invitation to the birthday party and you don't get that invitation. You know, it's difficult to be on the outside looking in when they stand by, visit after visit, watching all the other foster children find loving and caring homes. It's difficult to be on the outside looking in. And I think you get the picture. No one desires to be on the outside looking in. But I'll tell you this, those without Christ are just that. They're on the outside looking in. They're strangers. They're aliens, as Paul says. They're sojourners, if you will. They're they're different. They're, they're, They're not a part of the kingdom of God. Yet Christ offers hope. Christ offers those on the outside looking in the opportunity to be one with him. No longer on the outside looking in, but part of the family of God. Jesus offers us to be on his team. To be part of his family. And so as we continue in these passages this morning, verses 11 through 22. It's basically the final, Paul summarizes, it's a a final thing here if you'll notice. In verses 1 through 3, Paul has basically talked about those who are not in Christ. Those who are not in Christ, they're dead in their trespasses and sins. They walk with the course of this world. They they are controlled by Satan himself. In verse 4, though, Paul transitions and he says that those two uh, glorious words, but God. God. And so Paul transitions from that human condition to what God has done. God in his grace. God in his mercy. God in his love. Has given us to be one with Christ. To be a part of the family of God. And Paul continues here in chapter 2 verses 11 through 22. And he goes to what Christ has done. What Jesus has done for each and every one of us on that cross. Now, when you think about Ephesus, Ephesus was a very diverse place. There was, there was lots of races, there was lots of ethnicity, and lots of cultures, and lots of backgrounds. So there was definitely divisions. There was definitely a disunity in Ephesus. But if we are children of God, if we are part of the family of God... There needs to be unity. There's, we need to be one with a Christ. And so despite all the diversity, Paul reminds the Ephesian believers and us as well that Christ united both Jew and Gentile. And Christ also reconciled them to God through his shed blood on the cross. And Christ also unifies all people. He recon, reconciles all people to God and it is through his shed blood on that cross. That Jesus does that. And so this morning as we consider being one with Jesus, there are some wonderful truths we're going to see in this passage. So as we unpack this passage this morning, let's consider two truths. And then at the end we'll see the implications or uh, the applications, if you will, of those truths. So number one on your outline, if you followed along on your outline, is one with Christ means unity. Unity with Christ and with his people through the blood of Christ. Look with me at verses 11 and 12. Paul says, therefore, he's speaking of what has previously been talked about. Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise Having no hope and without God in the world. Paul, if you remember, was an apostle to the Gentiles. And here he's speaking directly to those Gentile believers. He's recapping their condition prior to Christ. Now a Gentile is simply anyone outside the covenant people of God. Those non-Jews. Those of the uncircumcision party. I don't know many of you in here that are Jews. So that would be us. We're Gentiles. We're outside the family of God. We're outside, uh, not the family of God, but we're outside the Jewish nation. We are part of the uncircumcised. And he's basically recapping their condition before Christ. So if you go back to Genesis, the covenant of circumcision, it was given to Abraham from God. And God gave that covenant of circumcision to Abraham because he wanted to separate the people of God from the nations surrounding them. He wanted them to be different. He wanted them to be set apart. And so he gives that, that the, the, the covenant of circumcision there to the people. In fact, it was circumcision that was the sticking point, if you remember, in which some of the Jew in the Jewish camp claimed that unless you are circumcised... You couldn't be saved. Unless you're circumcised, you couldn't be saved. Because circumcision would bring you into the covenant relationship with God. See that over in Acts chapter 15. But Paul says you were separated from Christ. They were separated from Israel. It meant that they were also separated from Jesus. John 4.22, Jesus said this to the woman at Samaria. You worship what you do not know for salvation is what? From the Jews. They were also alienated from the Commonwealth of Israel. Commonwealth simply it's a political term. It means talks about citizenship. They were excluded from the Commonwealth of Israel. They were excluded from citizenship in the nation of Israel. And so what being separated from Christ. And being alienated from the Commonwealth of Israel meant. Was that they were excluded The Gentiles were excluded from the opportunity of salvation. Not only were they strangers, not only were they separated, they were alienated. They were strangers of the covenant promise. They had no idea. The promises of God. Why would they? Why should they? They didn't know, know about them, let alone they were, were the partakers of many of the promises that God had given to his people. You remember all the promises that God had given to the nation of Israel. And I'll tell you this in the end times, the nation of Israel is still God's chosen people. And there will be benefits for the nation of Israel that there won't be for others because of that. Romans 9, chapter 9, verse 4, Paul writes this. He says, They are Israelites. And to them belong adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, Paul writes, according to the flesh is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So they had blessings and they had benefits. The people of God did that the Gentiles Weren't privy to. But Paul, he says, no hope and without God in the world. In other words, they were unsaved. and In fact, they had no opportunity to be saved. Because they weren't a part of the group. They weren't a part of the nation. They were, they were not one with Christ at that time. And so being unsaved and with no hope to be saved. In other words, they were apart from Christ. And they were apart from God. So instead of unity... There was separation. And according to Paul. Prior to Christ. The Gentiles were without God. They were ones who neither knew. Nor they did they worship the one true God. They were heathens in other words. They were dead in their trespasses and sin. As were we. Whenever we were separated from christ but that all changed thank god remember the book of acts if you go back and read chapter 10 verses 33 through 48 that's when peter proclaims the gospel and that's when the holy spirit falls on who the gentiles The Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. And when the Spirit fell on the Gentiles. It gave them the opportunity to receive Christ. It gave them the opportunity to be one with Christ. Do you see the significance? Think about it church. Had the Gentiles not been grafted in. Then you and I. As Gentiles would have no opportunity to be saved. Is that good news? Sure it's good news. Look at verse 13. Paul goes on and he says, but now. Very similar to the but God over in the verse 4. says, but now in Christ Jesus, a part of Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by what? The blood of the Christ near means to have access to God they now had access to God. Paul says but now in Christ that in word it means that the end means grafted as it were with Christ it means in fellowship with Jesus why because of the blood of Christ, because Jesus is atoning blood on, that he shed on the cross, his substitutionary atonement, that sacrificial death of Jesus when Jesus died on the cross and he shed his blood. He gave each and every one of us the opportunity to be saved, both Jew and Gentile together. And as Christ shed His blood, it brought, again, both Jew and it brought Gentile together for a new entity. And that new entity was called what? It was called the church. The church. All brought about by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. Verse 14 and 15, Paul goes on. He says, For he himself is our peace, talking about Jesus, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So the blood of Christ, it brought peace. It brought harmonious friendship with with God and with one another. If you remember anything about Jew and Gentile, they did not get along. They did not get along. You think of it this way. Think about your bitter rival. The Cockroach County's bitter rival. Whoever that might be. They don't get along. They battle. They bicker. They fight. They do all these other things. And that's what the Gentiles did. They were bitter enemies. But through the blood of Christ. And through the peace that, that the blood of Christ brought. They went from being bitter enemies to friends. Instantly. Through the blood of Jesus. And I'll tell you this. The only way that you and I. Do you know what the cure. For our world is. Do you know what the cure for the division of our world is. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the only cure. That is the only cure. That's the only way that. Both black and white and Latino, Asian and all those other groups can come together as one. They can go from being bitter enemies to friends. It's through the blood of Jesus. Because Paul says there's no longer hostility between the two. The dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. And it's been broken down through the blood of Christ. Notice something there. What did we have? What role did we have in this? Nothing. No role at all. It was all because of Jesus. It was all because of what Jesus did on the cross and his shed blood. It's interesting when you talk about that dividing wall. If you, the context there is, is, is speaking of the Jerusalem temple, and in the Jerusalem temple, if you see a picture of the temple, the very outside of the temple was called the court of the Gentiles. That's where the Gentiles had to stay. The Gentiles weren't allowed to go any further. They weren't allowed to go in directly into the temple. They weren't allowed to go through the beautiful gate into uh, the temple. In fact, there was a, uh, a sign on the wall of that outer courtyard that warned the Gentiles that they would only have themselves to blame if they passed beyond the wall that separated the courts. Imagine that. Imagine a sign. It's like you having a sign or me having a sign on our house. It says, if you pass through these doors, whatever, whatever is going to happen, you're taking your life at your own risk or whatever. But that wall, that dividing wall was broken down through the blood of Christ. And that dividing wall, if you go to uh, verse 15, he says, by abolishing the law, the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace, that dividing wall figuratively was the law. It was the law, it was the the commandments, the law of commandments expressed in those ordinances, the, the law of circumcision and all those other things. All of that law had been broken down, that wall had been broken down, and now the Gentiles, praise God, had access to Jesus. You remember when Christ died on the cross? You remember the veil? What happened to the veil? It was torn from top to bottom. What did that represent? He represented now we had access to the Holy of Holies. We had access to Jesus. No longer did the priest have to go in for us. We had access. So Paul says, listen, Jesus rendered powerless the law by both fulfilling the law and by removing the believer from the law's uh, condemnation. Thus, he says, the two became One, making peace. Jew and Gentile alike went from being two to one under the blood of Jesus Christ. Herman Edwards is a colorful and witty coach who coached the uh, Kansas City Chiefs for several years. And when it came to his thoughts on unity and teamwork, he said this, the players that play on this football team, We'll play for the name on the side of the helmet and not the name on the back of the jersey. The team on the side of our helmets is Christ's church. And that church is unified through the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the team that we play for. Colossians 3, verses 10 through 11, Paul writes this. And have put on the new self. Which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek, there is not Jew, there is not circumcised, there is not uncircumcised, there is not barbarian, the slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Let me ask you the question this morning. Is Christ in you? Are you unified with Jesus this morning? In Christ, there's only one unified people. It's called the church. In Christ, both the Jew and the Gentile are unified, creating one church where peace and unity are evident. Listen, man, if if peace and unity can't be found in God's church, then it ain't going to be found. All this peace and unity comes through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It was all Jesus. We had nothing to do with it. So it's through the shed blood of Christ that brought unity with Christ and with his people. This new unified church was also brought near to God. The second point this morning is this. One with Christ means peace and reconciliation with God through the cross of Christ. Look at verse 16 and 17. As Paul goes on, he says, And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace as Jesus to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So not only did Jesus render the law powerless by fulfilling the law and by removing the believers from the condemnation of the law, but Jesus also brought peace. He also brought reconciliation Through his work on the cross. So without the cross. We would still remain enemies with God. It is through Jesus. And his death on the cross. And his shed blood on the cross. That's the only way that you and I can be reconciled to God. That's the only way. Peace or no reconciliation means no relationship with Christ. Think of it this way. We're on this side of one mountain and God is on this side of another mountain. And in between, there's a great chasm. There's not a ladder long enough for you to throw down on this side and get to this side. It is only through Jesus Christ. Picture the cross laying in the middle of that chasm that spans from this side to this side and Jesus laying on that cross. For it is only through Christ that you and I can be reconciled to God. Paul's already talked about that. It's not our works. By grace, through faith, you're saved. It's a gift of God. Not of our works. So it's only through Christ and his work on that cross that you and I might be reconciled to God. Jesus paved the way for a new man. And as, as paved the way for reconciliation of all mankind back to God, it was through the cross Both are a reality. And by faith, that wonderful gift of God, we believe Jesus did these things. So we repent of our sins, we confess Him as Savior and Lord, and we too are reconciled back to God. Have you done that? Have you repented of your sins? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus came to to die on that cross, to shed His blood? Have you confessed Him as Savior and Lord? If you have, you've been reconciled to God. If you have not, you are not reconciled to God. You are still an enemy of God. Reconciled there, it simply means to bring two parties into a peaceful relations. To satisfy God's wrath against his enemies. He's no longer enemies of God, but friends. Paul says both Jew and Gentile. He says in one body, and that one body is the church. We've all been brought into that. Body, that one body, the church. Those of us who are reconciled to God, and that reconciliation came through one body as well, and that body was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, through the cross, Luke nineteen ten. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came as a offering peace between man and God. He came offering reconcil- reconciliation between man and God. So if you want peace between you and God, it's through Christ. If you want to be reconciled to God, it's through Christ. Why is it through Jesus? Because Jesus was the only perfect sacrifice. And his righteousness has been imputed into us, those of us who have confessed Christ as personal Lord and Savior. And is only through that righteousness that we, those of us who are children of God, he doesn't see me. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ and not my righteousness because my righteousness is what? Filthy rags. So the only way that I can be reconciled to, to God, the only way that you can be reconciled to God is through Jesus Christ. And then and only then does God see not your righteousness, but Jesus' righteousness. Righteousness. And it's through the cross that reconciliation will come. And it was and is only through Christ that we can be reconciled back to God. Don't let this world tell you that there are many ways to be reconciled to the Lord. There is only one way. And the Bible is clear in John 14, chapter 6. And I'm not going to read that. I could, but I want you to look that up. John 14, chapter 6. Or chapter 14, verse 6. It'll tell you there's only one way. To Christ those who were far off and those who were near all had the opportunity for peace and reconciliation Paul goes on in verse 18 for through him that's Jesus again we both have access in one spirit to the father I have access to the father through the holy spirit you have access to the father through the holy spirit We no longer need a priest to intercede for us. We have the high priest interceding for us in heaven. Sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for His people. And so that same Spirit gives each of us access to the Father. Remember now, there was varied cultures and varied backgrounds there in Ephesus, so there would have been different nationalities and different cultures and different backgrounds and different races and ethnicities, just much like what we have today. However, the only access was through the Spirit. They didn't need to go anywhere else to have access to the Father, to have access to the God. To God only to receive the Spirit through salvation, and then they would have access to God. Just like you you do and just like I do. In fact, Paul writes to those Christians in Rome in chapter ten, verses nineteen through or nine through thirteen. He says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, for with the heart one believes. Have you believed with your heart? And is justified, and with the mouth one confesses. Have you confessed? Have you confessed that Jesus is Lord? Have you, have you confessed that God raised him from the dead? And if you have, you will be saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you called on the name of the Lord? Have you called on the name of the Lord? Isaiah 57, the last part of verse 19 says, Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. The Lord brings peace not only to those who are far off, but those who are near. So the finished work of Jesus on the cross at Calvary is the only way. Those previously separated from God can be brought back into a right relationship. Do you realize the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that lives in me and in you? And we receive that spirit by putting our faith and trust in Christ and his finished work on the cross. So again, I ask you this morning, have you done that? Have you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior? So Jesus brings unity. He also brings uh, un- uh, peace and reconciliation with God. And Paul reminds us of this final thing this morning. We'll see the implications of being one with Christ. Verses 19 through 22. So then, so after all these other things I've already told you in verses 11 through 18. So then you are no longer Strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus being the cornerstone, he says, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you're also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Christians, we must know who we are. Paul says there's a contrast here. He says, You're no longer strangers, you're no longer aliens, but citizens and members. Christians are no longer foreigners. They're no longer strangers. The foreigners have no rights. They they have no privileges that would otherwise be afforded to the one who is a stranger. They're also no longer excluded from the faith. They too have an opportunity to be saved. By contrast, the citizens, Paul says they're citizens, they're they're members. They're citizens, and citizens possess the same citizenship with others who are citizens. You see it on the news a lot of times. They talk about that that dual citizenship. But you know, we're, we're, we're dual citizens. We're citizens of this earth. We're citizens of this world. We're citizens of the United States of America. But We're also citizens of heaven. Which is so much greater than even being citizens of, uh, of America. And all the, the joys and the blessings that we have from that. But we possess those benefits of being a citizen. In this case, the Gentiles, they're received into the communion of the saints. Past, present, and future. All those who have been adopted into the family of God, they're, they're fellow Christians now. They're no longer Gentiles, but they're Christians. They're Gentile Christians, but Christians nonetheless. Not only that, but they're members. What are they members of? They're members of the household of God. That speaks of inclusion. It speaks of fellowship. It speaks of being adopted into the family of God. When 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 an individual is adopted into a family, you know what they get? They get the privileges of being in that family. All the blessings of being in that family. All the benefits of being in that family. All the rights of being adopted into that particular family. The family there is the kingdom of God. Paul writes, talks, speaks about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is what binds us together. And we receive the Spirit because we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So we receive the Spirit and the Spirit binds us together. But not only does it bind us together, it gives us peace with God. We go from enemy to friend. We go from slave to freedom. We go from death to life. All because we are a member of the household of God. All because we have been adopted into the family of God. There are no greater implications than that. And Paul says that house is being built upon, built upon the foundations of the apostles, that he's basically speaking of the twelve there, and, and, and Matthias as, as well, and the prophets. Now, there's some debate about who the prophets were, but most believe that it was the New Testament prophets. But we don't need prophets today. We don't need apostles today because we have the canon of Scripture. So there are no apostles, there are no uh, prophets uh, today. We've got the complete canon. We don't need revelation from God. We've got revelation for God sitting right in front of us. So there's no uh, nobody needs to, to speak uh, for God now because we have it. Notice what he says. And don't miss this, that Jesus himself is the cornerstone. That's obviously a figure of speech. Jesus is not a stone, but a cornerstone is placed at the extreme center at the at a very right angle of a building. It's a critical stone in the corner of the foundation It ensures that the stone building is square and stable. So Jesus being our cornerstones ensures that we are square and that we are stable. The stone also holds the entire structure together. Think about that. Think about why it's so important for Jesus to be the cornerstone. Who else is going to hold the structure together? In ancient structures, the cornerstone was placed at the right angle joining two walls. And usually, there was a name inscribed on the stone signifying the builder who took credit for building the building. In this case, the name inscribed on this cornerstone was none other than who? Jesus Christ. And the name that's inscribed on the cornerstone of our life is none other than Jesus Christ himself. The whole structure, Paul says, is joined together. There's a corporate nature of that. So he's talking about the church, the church that's growing and expanding. And so that's why the church, we are the church. We are the church. The whole structure, the whole church is being built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ because Jesus is secure Jesus is strong. Jesus produces a structure that is going to be secure, a structure that is going to be uh, a strong, and a structure that, if you read Scripture, that the gates of hell will not prevail against. But It speaks of that corporate nature. It speaks of the holy temple of the Lord. Remember, Jerusalem was the temple; the people would meet and they would worship and they would fellowship. In the the temple that represented the presence of God. The Christians are being built together in Christ. We no longer have to go to the temple and worship. We are the temple. God dwells in us. The Spirit of God is building the child of God into the temple of God. With Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. The great Scottish... Bible expositor Alexander McLean once wrote this. He says, We have as much of God as we will. Christ puts the key of the treasure chamber into our hand and bids us to take what we need and what we want, all that we want. If, he says, a man is admitted into a bullion vault of a bank and told to help himself, and comes out with one cent, whose fault is it that he's poor? Oh, what benefits there are to be a part of the family of God. First Peter 2.5, Peter writes this, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The temple is no longer the abode of God in Jerusalem. But it's the church, the Holy Spirit who indwells each and every true believer is at work in that believer and in the new believing community. He's at work in us individually and he's also in work in us as a community. And as we come together individually into that community see the significance of our spiritual gifts and how God builds that church and how he builds upon the foundation of the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. So we no longer are strangers. We're no longer aliens, but we're citizens and members. And being that we are citizens and members, we have all the benefits and privileges afforded to the household of God. You don't get no better than that. You don't get no better than that. So as we close, we obviously live in a society that would be considered very similar to that which Paul writes to. The racial, the, the ethnic uh, ethnic diversity, the cultural diversity, the spiritual diversity, the economical diversity, and all those other things. Yet I'm thankful, and you should be too, that none of that matters. None of that matters when we consider the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Because the work of Jesus On the cross, the shedding of his blood brought all of that together. Brought all of it together. So Christ is the key. Specifically, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you do not have that relationship alien, then you are still separated from God. You are still an alien. You're not a part of the family of God. If you don't have that relationship, you've not been reconciled to God. You haven't found peace with God. For peace is only through the finished work of Jesus on the cross at Calvary. But the thing is, is you have to accept that peace. You have to want to be willing to, to seek that peace and be reconciled to God. So the real question then this morning is this. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? If you were to stand before God right now and Jesus was to say, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Oh, Jesus, I'm good. You know what I've done? Have you seen me out there? Have you seen all the people I've won to Christ? The Bible says that if you can't answer Christ, yes, I know why you should let me into your heaven because I've accepted you as my personal Lord and Savior and I've lived for you and I've been obedient to you. I believe you are the Son of God. I repented of my sins. I confessed you as Savior and Lord. I put my faith and my trust in you as Savior and Lord. If you can't tell Jesus that as you stand before him then you are not a child of God what Jesus will say is depart from me for I never knew you you worker of iniquity is that you this morning is that you maybe you've not maybe you thought you put your faith and trust in Christ but maybe you haven't gone through the process maybe you haven't truly repented of your sins and maybe you haven't confessed Christ as Savior and Lord you have that opportunity this morning Maybe you're here this morning and you're a Christian and you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You know that for a fact. But I want to remind you of a little poem that I read and found when I was studying this passage of Scripture. If you're a Christian here this morning, think about this poem. Christ builds his church with different stones. We are the stones. And makes each one secure. All shapes and sizes fit in place. To make his church endure. We are those stones. If you're a Christian here this morning. We are those stones. So I want to ask you a question. What are you doing. Stone. To help build up the kingdom of God. Is your stone being placed where other stones can be built upon your stone? Or is your stone like a Jenga puzzle? Is your stone secure? Is your stone stable? Is your stone built upon the cornerstone, Christ Jesus? Or is your stone like a Jenga puzzle that if you pull your stone out, the whole thing collapses? Those are only questions that each and every one of you can answer this morning. But I pray that you understand that we're unified with not only Christ, but with one another by the blood of Jesus. And because of Jesus' work on that cross, you and I are reconciled to God, we find peace with God. And the implications of that are so far-reaching. But the mo- ultimate implication of that is we are no longer strangers. We are no longer non-citizens, but we are citizens of the kingdom. The kingdom of God and the king of the kingdom of God is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And so decisions need to be made this morning. And as the ladies come up and play, we're not going to have an extended I just don't feel God lead me in that direction today. We're not gonna have an extended closing this morning. Brother Ben's will come up and we're gonna sing and uh, the, the invitation hymn, but I want decisions to be made. If if you need to make a decision, you need to pray. Listen, pray at your seat. You don't have to come up or the altar's open, but you don't have to come up to the altar. You can pray and accept Christ if you want to accept Christ at your seat. You need to talk afterwards, I'll be here afterwards. We can talk afterwards. let's make some decisions, church.
0: Thanks again for listening today. We hope the word preached today would be used by God mightily as you go about your week. Again, if you would like more information about our church or would like more digital content, please feel free to check us out on the web at southsidenp.org. Have a blessed day and may God grant you grace this week to grow more into the likeness of Jesus.